Thank you. Well, last week we started talking about a place called Solomon's Quarry, which is underneath Jerusalem. I was there uh, three or four weeks ago, and uh, it was a, a really interesting visit. And what we talked about is the fact that, that this was a place that they, uh, they took limestone from. Uh, they were underneath there, and you can see some of the lines of where they took, and they cut out big blocks of limestone, and they uh, used it to build the temple, most probably the temple that was there when, when Jesus was walking the earth. And so you can see some of, the, some of the size of those blocks, those huge limestone blocks that were quarried out of there. Um, there you can add it, see it, uh, this picture as well, this guy's walking on top of them and so on. And, and they were used to build the, the beautiful temple. This is just a model of it. This isn't the real thing. But, but you can just get an idea of where, where these stones were cut from and, and and how they were uh, used and so on. I actually, unless you're from the Israeli police, I actually have some limestone from Solomon's quarry right here. I just borrowed it. I'm going to bring it back someday, I promise. But if you want to feel what limestone feels like, it's there. It's dusty. So anyway, one of the things we had talked about, and the guy, uh, George DeYoung, who led our trip, but one of the things he talked about was that basically what we said was that stone cutting is an art. For those who were down there who were, who were cutting these stones, who were building the temple, that act of kind of putting that all together is a real art. And he said that they need to know three things. That, that that person who's cutting that stone needs to know, first of all, what is being built. They needed to have a picture of that temple, of, of what was going to be done there. The second thing, and, 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 and so on, was that was that person needs to know the stone. This was really fascinating to me. Uh, George said, and you could see it in some of the lines there, that, that, that the, the, the stone itself kind of has some characteristics and, and if you're going to cut it out, if you're going to shape it, if you're going to use it, you want to make sure that you ask, what is this stone built for? What is this stone there for? How does it fit? And, and so you have to know the stone. And then the third thing was you need to know where the stone is going to be used, right? What part of the temple is it going to be? And what part of the building is it going to be used in? And so all of those things make a difference in, in how you put it together and what parts you chip off and so on. The reason we talked about that is because we're, we're in this series talking about finding our place in God's plan. And one of the things we want to recognize is that finding our place in God's plan is an art. As we as a church kind of say, God, where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? We're, we're kind of at a place where things have been going well and, and so on, but we're also at a place where a number of us are feeling like, God, we need to seek your face. We need to just really be asking, what do you want us to do? And so, so we've said, you know what, there's an art to that. And we want to invite you to be in prayer for that process. So last week we talked about saying, we need to think about it first, like a stone cutter of knowing what God is building. And we said what God is doing is God is making all things new. And then we said, and this is what we're going to look at this week, is we need to know who we are, all right? We need to know the gifts and the abilities that God has given us as individuals, but also as a church. And then third, we need to know where God has placed us. What's in this community? What are the needs here? What, 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 in what God is building, where are we right now? And so we said, you know what, that, that image of that cutting of stone and so on is what's going to kind of guide us as we, again, talk about finding our place as a community in God's plan. So, like I said, last week we talked about what is God doing? He's making all things new, and it was big and so on. And so this week what I want to look at is who are we, all right? Who, who are we? What are the gifts that God has given to us? Again, not just as individuals, but as a church, as a body of believers. And I'm going to argue, and you'll, you'll, I'll talk more about it, but to say, you know, that just as individuals have gifts, so do churches have gifts and and. Uh, tones and characteristics and God uses those things so who are we three things I want to say about this this morning all right three things the first thing I want to say is this that we are living stones whom God is using we are living stones we are the just as God built that temple out of stones that were not living now God is building a new temple 
a new place where he is going to dwell. And he builds it not out of rock, but out of living rocks, out of living stones. Peter talks about this. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. Peter writes this. He says, as you come to Jesus, the living stone, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so what we are, or we are stones in God's temple. Just as you think about that temple and you saw those huge things on the wailing wall there or wherever it was, we are now those living stones. And one of the cool things to think about with that is that, is that we become the place God loves to dwell. You know, it was the temple where God loved to dwell. It was the temple where God loved to be more than any place else. That was his place. That was where he loved to be. And now we are God's temple. We are God's favorite place to be. Imagine that. You are God's favorite place to be. He wants to dwell inside of you. In his letter to the Ephesians, in his letter to the Ephesians, the apostle Paul talks about being not living stones, but being part of God's building. He doesn't use the same term, but it's the same idea. Paul says, consequently, you, plural there, all of the people in Ephesus, the, the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation. Again, we've got a building here. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. All right, we're part of a building. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus holds it all together. The apostles and the prophets are the foundation. We build on them. That's why we take the word of God seriously here, because they are that foundation. But then in him, in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That is so amazing. Like I say, the temple was God's favorite place to dwell. Now we are God's favorite place to be. We are, when we live together in love, when we live together in love, when we are a community, and this is a community that they're talking about here in Ephesians, when we are a community, God comes and he dwells here among us and it brings him great joy. That's so awesome to think about. We are living stones whom God is using. The second thing is what I want to spend more time on. All right, this is kind of where I want to spend the majority of time this morning. And it's this, we are all living stones, but we are not all the same, all right? We are all living stones, but we are not all the same. Like I said last week, you know, God could have built the temple from one large stone. He could have had one big chunk of limestone just laid where he wanted it, and it could have all come from that, but he didn't. Instead, God chose to use all sorts of stones. Sometimes they were different stones from the same quarry. So what we've got here, all right, at the temple, these big, large ones that were used here. I uh, showed this last week again, smaller ones used up top. Some of them used in an arch there. Some of them used behind the marble there. But there were different stones from the same quarry, all right? That's one of the differences. But there was also a difference in that there were different types of stone. This is limestone. This is a, a large part of the temple was built from this kind of limestone. But, but there was also granite, there was marble. There were other stones like that. There were precious stones that were used all over the place. Amethyst, emerald, onyx, more than that. There were all sorts of different stones, and all of that diversity is there in that temple. And so too, in God's temple, in God's people here, we are all living stones, but we are not all the same. And again, this was so clear in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, all right? Again, I want to go back there. In him, in Jesus, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And, and the people who were being built together were really different people. 
those Jewish Christians and those Gentile Christians were very diverse. They were very different people. And so for God to bring them together was an amazing thing. If we go back to Ephesians 2 verse 14, we read this. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. All right, And so what God is about is taking all of these different things, all of these different unique pieces, and bringing them together. And, and again, if you think of that, those pictures of the temple and so on, it is so cool to recognize that God loves to use diversity. God loves to use a, a variety of things, and he takes us from all that diversity, and he builds us together. I, I had a, a really cool picture of this um, when we were in Egypt, uh, again, just a few weeks ago, and, and uh, we had a really cool opportunity. What we did one day, um, we were driving from, from Aswan, way in the south, up to Luxor, and we stopped at a place where they make mud bricks. All right, we stopped at a place where they make mud bricks by hands. This was a little family, and that was, that was their job, all right? And so this was their production. You can kind of see where it changes color. So the, the morning we were there, they had done that many bricks. And you can see kind of the day before, and it changes color, and it goes back. And, and they did all of these by hand, and they made all of them. And there was a bunch there, and there is a bunch there. There were, there were just brick after brick after brick. Some of you know that I, that I didn't have my luggage for 10 of the days on the trip, so I was trying to earn some money. Um, I did a tryout. I uh, didn't have my razor either all the time, but I did a tryout, and they fired me. They said, don't quit your day job. Uh, not so good at making bricks, I am. But here's the deal. Okay, why do I tell you about bricks? Why do I show you all these bricks? Here's what we've got to understand. When you do bricks, every brick is the same. All right, everyone, even though they're handmade, you can see, I mean, the lines are unbelievably consistent. This guy who was doing this could do these. He'd finish off the same way with three, three swipes going back and forth, and they'd be exactly the same after brick, after brick, after brick. When you work with bricks, brick are the same. You think about that, the bricks that we've got here, right? We want all of those bricks to be absolutely the same. You manufacture them. We are not bricks. We are stones. When you work with stones, every stone is different. Every stone is unique. And, and that just really was powerful for me to recognize that. I, I, again, I had somebody after the service last week, Sunday, say to me, you know, okay, because I talk about bricks or rocks, uh, stones all the time and God building us into a temple and so on. And one of you kind of did it. It was in the back of my mind, but said, the Pink Floyd song, all in all, you're just another brick in the wall. And it can be so easy for us to feel that way, right? We're just another brick in the wall. We're just another brick in the wall. But you know what? God never builds with bricks. God doesn't build with bricks. God builds with stones. It's a lot harder to build with stones. That's why you pay a lot more for a stone fireplace, right, rather than a brick fireplace because stones are unique. Stones are different. Stones are special, and you've got to respect each stone, and it needs its own place. And I think it's so cool that God did not say, you are living bricks. No, he said, you're living stones, you're living stones. You are all unique. You are all just created separate. And, and, and we come together bringing all of those differences. And, and so, I, you know, when you see bricks, think, oh, God, I'm thankful I'm not a brick. I'm thankful that I'm a stone because that stone is, is unique and it's different. God does not call us living bricks. He calls us living stones. We are not, or we are all living stones, but we are not all the same. Like I say, we often think of this individually, and that's true. I, you know, I mean, the good news is you're all stones this morning, not bricks. But, but I think it's also true of churches. 
And, and it's important for us and helpful for us to recognize this. I ran across a book this week that I thought was really interesting by a guy by the name of Ethan Long Henry. Okay, the title of the book is Churches of the New Testament. And what this guy does in this book, it's just a little short 100-page book or so, but what he does is he goes through the New Testament and, and he looks at all the different churches, all the different places and so on. And, and, and what he wants to do is say, there's not one New Testament church. Now, in one sense, there is. They're all helping each other. They're all joined together. They all share a faith in Jesus Christ. So in one sense, that church was one. But it's fascinating if you start to look at it. All of these churches in these different places were unique. Let me, were, were unique. Let me give you just some examples from the New Testament. One of them he talks about is Corinth, okay? Corinth. Corinth as a city was, um, we know again from other sources and so on, Corinth as a city was probably the best comparison is Las Vegas, right? It was a, a, a town on the sea. It was wild. Um, if you wanted to go have a boys weekend, a wild weekend, whatever it was, you'd go Corinthianize. I mean, that was kind of the, the term that you would use to go have a wild weekend or whatever. And so Corinth was a wild city. And the church in Corinth, you know what, reflected some of that reflected some of that. This was a church, they had superstar preachers, they had awesome worship leaders, they, had, they were gifted, they were flashy, they spoke in tongues. This was a church that was in some ways more culturally relevant than any of the other churches. They were so connected, they were so aware of what was going on. They had so many gifts in that church, they had so much power. Now they had some problems. <laughs> they had some significant problems because they didn't separate themselves enough from the community. But that church in Corinth was was one of those churches, you know, that's just kind of on the cutting edge. They're, they're gifted, they're, they're flashy, they're culturally relevant, all right? And we could talk more about it, but I just kind of want to give you a little flavor of that, all right? So that's Corinth. If you go up, if we stay in Greece and move up to Berea, okay, up to, to a little city of Berea, further up the coast there, um, a much quieter city and so on, we only read about the Berean church really in one place, Acts 17, verse 11. Now, the Berean Jews who were the first Christians. The Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. We'll get to that later. So they were of more noble character, for they received the message with great eagerness, and what did they do? They examined the scriptures every day. They examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And so in Berea, what we have is a church that is just devoted to Bible study. This is a church, these were people who were passionate about the scriptures. They had them memorized. They had that Old Testament just there, and they were looking at it, and they were checking it out. And, 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 and so, again, fascinating to think. Corinth and, and Berea, not that far apart. But in Corinth, they're, they're, they're just so focused on worship and, and, and gifts of the Spirit and all that stuff. In, in Berea, you know, they're, they're the ones who are, who are just studying their scriptures, and they're looking at their Bibles. And I want to suggest both those churches were necessary. Both of those churches were necessary. If we go up a little bit to those people from Thessalonica, even though Paul, uh, you know, says they weren't very good, you know, I mean, Luke and Acts says that they didn't have all that much noble character. Once they got Christ, once they, once they did receive Christ, they became deep, and they became known for two things. They were a church that was full of love and full of hard work. First Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. I mean, they were just known for their love. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Keep growing that gift that you've got. Keep growing that characteristic. This was a church that loved people, and it was a church that worked hard. First Thessalonians 1 verse 3. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thessalonica, love hard work. 
focus, caring about people. This was just a church that, you know, I mean, if you think about a church that, that says we are the feet and the hands of Jesus, that was Thessalonica. Think about the Salvation Army today, right? What do they do? I mean, they're, they're, they're a church, but they're just so involved in social projects. In a sense, Thessalonica was laboring, was working, was, was, their love was known throughout all of Macedonia. And so you've got another kind of model there of, of a different kind of church in Thessalonica. You move over a little bit to Philippi. If you were with us last summer, we talked about Philippi quite a bit. Philippi was a church. The Philippians were people who just loved Paul and encouraged him and supported him and partnered with him. They were full of joy. They were accepting. They were loving. Philippians 1, 7, and 8, Paul talks about them a little bit. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You get a sense of how much Paul cares for them. They were encouragers. They were partners with Paul. They were joyful. Now, again, they had their drawbacks. (laughs) Part of what Paul had to say to them is, I know you really love everybody, but sometimes you have to speak the truth. This was a church that was really good at kind of accepting people, but Paul says, you got some women in the church who are fighting, Euodia and Syntyche. You got to challenge them on it. Let's not just pretend everything is fine and sweep it under the rug. That's kind of what they tended to do, I think, is they kind of just wanted to say, oh, yeah, but we all love everybody. I'm okay, you're okay. And, 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 and so, yeah, they, they did. They were so accepting, but it's also got a challenge with each of these, ch- each of these churches, right? It's, it's kind of fascinating to see. They have their characteristics. They have their strengths. They have their weaknesses. One more, although you get the idea already. Um, jump over to Antioch. Jump over to Antioch, all right? And we read about them in Acts 13, verses 2 and 3. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And again, this is the church there. So after they, the church in Antioch, had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. This is the church that had a passion for the gospel to spread around the world. This is a church that just said, you know what, God? We hear you calling us, and so we are going to send Paul. We're going to send Barnabas. And and they are a sending church. I'm sure they cared about their community locally. I'm sure they reached out with God's grace to their neighbors and so on. But part of what marked them, they had that sense. They were kind of, they started the whole missionary movement. They were the first church to really say, we've got to break down barriers. We've got we to push Paul into places he's never gone before. And so they are that sending church. And, and so I could go on, but, you, you know, I mean, there, it's just interesting. It, it was interesting for me to kind of be reminded or, or to make myself think about the fact that there wasn't just kind of one New Testament church model. When we say, oh, we want to be like a New Testament church. Well, that's great. We all do. But which one? <laughs> Which one? Uh, which one? And, 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 and that's good. We've got different models. We've got uh, different options. And, and the fact is, it's still true today. It is still true today that we all don't need to be the same. And that God gives us different gifts and different abilities and different strengths and different weaknesses. All right? So we are all living stones, but we are not all the same. And that brings me to the third thing that I want to just touch on here. And, and that is this we need to do our best understand who we are as a church our gifts our abilities our passion and our story and that's a real challenge how do we do that together I mean this is something I've been thinking about and praying about for several months of just saying you know what who is hillside who are we I mean I have some ideas myself but I want all of us to be praying about it and thinking about it saying God you know what are we what are we good at what do you call us to do how would you want us where do we fit 
What stone are we? And, and so I want to just kind of get you thinking about that, and I'll give you some ideas as we kind of come back towards the end of how you might help me with that some. But let me just give you some reminders of some basics about Hillside, all right? Some basics about who we are. First, and, and we need to kind of remember this, first of all, we're Christian. It means we're united with a whole lot of other brothers and sisters, with a whole lot of other brothers and sisters around the world and in this community, okay? We need to remember our first identity is that we belong to Jesus Christ, And as a Christian church, we share so much with so many other rocks, with so many other living stones, with so many other churches. And and, and that's our first point of identity is we belong to Jesus Christ. We believe salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone, that he is the way and the truth and the life. We believe the Bible is the word of God. And there are just a number of things that we share in common with with every other Christian church. We are also reformed. Every church, every group has a way of reading scriptures. It's interesting because some churches will say, well, we have no creed but Christ. No creed but Christ, they will say. And what they mean by that is we just take the scriptures and whatever it says. None of us just read the scripture. Okay, friends, if we're honest, we all have glasses when we read scripture. There are certain things we emphasize, certain things we, we kind of find central to who we are. We all do. We come out of what's called the Reformed tradition. I'm not going to explain all of that for those of you who aren't really sure of how that fits. It's, it's fascinating. It's wonderful to me. We learn from all the other traditions. We are blessed by so many different traditions. But this is part of who we are, and, and then you put that together with church, and we're part of a denomination. Now, let me just tell you something. All these basic things I'm throwing out here now, the data still needs to be interpreted, okay? You can say, okay, we're part of the Christian Reformed Church. Is that good or is that bad? Well, some of each, right? I mean, that means we do some things well and some challenges that we have. And and so with all of these things, numbers, you can say, well, that's the fact. It's a fact, but it still needs to be interpreted. It doesn't mean anything until we understand why. So this is part of who we are. Specifically as a congregation, some of you know this, May 15 of 1968 is when we were formed. So that means in just a few weeks, we will be 45 years old as a congregation. Okay, again, exactly what does that mean? It means we've got some legs underneath us. It means that we've got members here who have been here from the beginning and uh, who are now getting on in years. And, and, and so we've got some history. We've got some story here. We've got some experiences that we share, some good experiences, some not-so-good experiences. That's part of who we are, and, and, and we need to kind of throw that into the mix. The last yearbook reporting... and. You can ask me what that is later. But we had 1,274 members, if you're curious. 1,274 members, all right? Um, one of the interesting things about that to kind of, I think, part of who we are is that uh, 36% of our members are under age 18, all right? And, and in our classes, the other group of churches that were around, the average is 29%. If you take us out, it's actually 27%. So we're young. We, we have a lot of kids, and that is such a gift. That's part of who we are. That's part of the reason why in this budget booklet you'll see some expansion of, of ministries for youth and children because we've got a lot of them, and God seems to be calling us in those areas and, and blessing us in those areas. Um, and, and, and so, you know, we're saying, okay, that's part of who we are. And, and how does that look, and is that going to continue? It seems like God continues to bless us with young families, and so that makes a difference in, 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 in what we do and, and what God is calling us to do. But we're also, I want to suggest that we recognize we're multi-generational, and this is something for me that's, I think, really important. Um, this is part of the story. I think that's really important. I am so blessed um, 
being probably not one of the older members, but by these members who are even older than I. Um, you know, really, the body of Christ was intended to have a, a, a bunch of different people who build into each other, and we need the wisdom of those who have gone down the road a little further. And so for me, I think it's really important that we don't just say, well, we're going to be a church for this. I think we need to continue to challenge ourselves. And, and again, I want to hear what you, but I think we need to challenge ourselves to say, you know what, we've got to be the body, and that includes people from all different generations. I, I, our kids need, you know, our kids need to have older people who are blessing them. And the older people need to have kids who are blessing them. And, and, and so I, I think, you know, I look around, and we've got a variety of ages here. Yeah, we've got a lot of kids, but we do have a wonderful group of more seasoned saints as well. Um, in some categories, we are a large church but not a mega church. Some of you say, well, that's good. Some of you say, well, we ought to be dry. I mean, th- th- this is one that really needs some interpretation. If you want to know kind of the basic definitions, if you have more than 2,000 in worship on a, on a Sunday morning average, if you average over that, that makes you a mega church, okay? Now, there are some things that change when you get to be a mega church. There's, this is one I struggle with because I, I, I say, okay, do we do this size well? Do we do this size well? And, and is God calling us then to say, well, I, I know God calls us to continue to reach out. God calls us to continue to grow. So that's where I think, okay, do we talk about planting a church? Do we do satellite? Do we do? I don't know. This is really where I want your prayers. This is where the leadership wants your prayers, wants your, some of your thoughts. And saying, what? You know, I mean, things change as you grow. Some of you have been part of that. Is that good? Is that bad? Is that what God is calling us to do? Or do we say, no, we'd rather, you know, send some people out and start a new group or whatever. I don't, you know, I, I, we got to be praying about this and, and, and trying to figure out what is God calling us? Where do we fit? There are a number of mega churches around. Maybe we say, you know, we need some smaller places where people can find some really good fellowship. I, that's, that's what we're seeking God's leading on, all right? That's what we're praying about. So those are some of the basics about Hillside. But, but really, in a sense, the, the, the more interesting questions are some of the, I call them deeper questions. Don't get hung up on that word. Um, but, but kind of those behind-the-scene questions. And what I'm thinking of here are, are the things I've mentioned of, you know, what are our strengths? What are our passions? How do we see ourselves? What do others see? What, who is Hillside? I, I received a call this past week from somebody who's doing some stuff um, for our classes, and that's a group of churches that we have that we're connected with. And, and one of the things she asked me was, and she, it was fascinating, she just said, if you had three words to describe Hillside, what would you use? What three words would you use? I said, well, they overpay their staff. Uh, no, <laughs> That was a joke, friends. I could have used a little laughter there. <laughs> no, you all pay very, very well. But no, I mean, it was fascinating to me to, to think about it. If you had three words, if you had three words to describe this body, what would you use? So I was trying to figure out how to help you help me. And, and so what I did, I put these in your boxes. There are these, this is yellow, that much I know. Um, there are these, and, and I just put down some things of, of if I had three, to describe Hillside in three words, I would use these words. I'd love to know what you think. What are the words that you use? And they can be, you know, wasteful. They, I mean, they don't have to be all, I'm not saying what are the best things about it, but just what are the words when you think about it? Because that tells us a little bit of who we are. I mean, what, what three words come to mind? The second question, when I think of, of the strengths of Hillside, I think of these things. And, and then we at Hillside are passionate about, this is the third thing, and then the fourth is any other thoughts. And so these are in your boxes. There are some, uh, some places to receive them there. And if you want to, fine. If you don't, that's fine with me. But I, I just, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how do we help, how do we kind of grow and learn and understand? And, I, and I'm curious, like I say, to see if, 
You know, what words would you use? What do we see as our strengths? What is God calling us to do? And as we, in the, in the months, in the year ahead, just try to really listen for God's voice. This is one of the ways. We'll give you a, a number of other ones as well. But just a way, if you want to, 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 to have a voice and trying to help us hear who God is, uh, has, has already called us to be and, and, and who he is also calling us to be, where he's calling us to grow. So this week, what I want to ask you to do is, is just to be in prayer again. And to ask God that we can have the eyes to see who we are in God's eyes. Again, as individuals, I love that. I want you to just remind yourself over and over, I am not a brick. You know, at work, you might be treated like a brick. Egypt treats us like bricks, right? The world around us treats us like bricks. It says, you're a brick. You're a brick. You're a brick. God says, no, you're not. You're a stone. God, help me to see myself as the stone you've created me to be. And then as a body, God, help us to see ourselves as the stone you are calling us to be together as we are part of that place where you dwell that helps to bring in your kingdom that's part of making all things new. Friends, I just, I, I want to be where God wants me to be. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want us as a church to discover the joy of knowing that there is nothing better than doing what God wants, where God wants, how God wants, when God wants. There is nothing better than that. And so seek God's face with us and let's see what he does. Let's pray together. Father, sometimes we feel like bricks. Sometimes the world tells us we're just bricks. We have jobs that feel like a brick. We just do the same thing over and over and over again. But you call us as individuals and as a body to be stones, living stones where you can dwell, that are being built together to to make your kingdom real, to bring the presence of your kingdom into this world, to make all things new. So, Father, give us passion. Give us passion to be who you call us to be. And give us wisdom, Father, to know who you are calling us to be. God, we want to be where you want us to be, how you want us to be, when you want us to be. And and so, Lord, just give us your eyes. Give us your heart. Give us humility and the ability to talk to each other as we seek your face. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You please stand to receive God's final uh, parting word of blessing. Once again, there are going to be some folks from Hillside in the prayer room there. If you'd like to talk with somebody or pray with them, I'd be happy to meet with you. People of God, as we go from this place, may we know that we go by God's grace, and may we live not as bricks but as stones. Go in God's grace. Amen.